Now, here's the question. What is the first thing you have to have if you want to get to know someone? And if it's a, a person of the opposite gender, there might be all kind of strategies proposed to be able to get this thing that you would have to have that is first base. Telephone what is number? No. <laughs> Telephone number. My, this guy's from the 1950s. <clears throat> You've got to know. Come on, Facebook account. You've got to know her name exactly right. Now, guys, if you can't get to first base, you're going to have to say, hey, you with the long hair, come on over here. That's not going to go, is it, ladies? And there might be a hippie over there thinking you're talking about him. Come on over here. So we've got to know that person's name. And name is very important now in Western culture. Names just kind of identify the person and tell you who we're talking about in most cases. But names can be meaningful even in our culture. And even nicknames can be meaningful. Uh, usually a nickname is given because of some characteristic or feature of the person. And we have Shorty or Speedy or Pumpkin or Bean or Lulu or Sissy or whatever it may mean. And even nicknames carry meaning for the person. So we have to be careful with names. There was a guy who was nicknamed Bud. Now, Bud can be the nickname for anything. But he met a young lady whose nickname was Beth, short for Elizabeth. And they liked each other pretty well, and later on they decided to get married. And someone gave them a nameplate for their new house. It read, Bud, Beth, and Beyond. <laughs> now, that's, that's pretty bad, but this is even worse. There was a lady who was going to have a baby, but before the baby was born, she was in an accident, and she was unconscious. And when she woke up in the hospital, she discovered she was no longer pregnant. But the doctor said, you are the mother of twins, a little boy and a little girl. And he said, your brother came in while you were unconscious, and he named the babies. Uh-oh, she said, this could be bad. And what did he name them? Well, he named the little girl Denise. Whew, she said, that's not too bad. And what did he name the boy? Denephew. <laughs> yes. Denise and Denephew, that way, this newly ordained uncle could be reminded of his responsibility. Now, in the Bible, names meant much, much more than they do in our culture. Even nicknames. Uh, we might occasionally find someone whose name was very significant in their lives, but in the Bible, the name had symbolical meaning. And it may refer to your character, it may be descriptive, often it was prophetic. And many times it would be connected with the name of God, either in terms of hopeful service to God or thanks to God. And you can think of the name Nathaniel, gift of God, Samuel, heard of God. Remember his mama, Hannah, praying. Adonijah, Yahweh is my Lord. Mahalalel, praise to God. And Zechariah, God has remembered. Often the life and character of a child would be predicted by his parents in the name. And you can think of the name Jesus. They were told in Matthew, the angel 
said to them, Thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sin. Many times the name would be both a prayer and a consecration of the child to God. Names were sometimes changed, as in the case of Abraham and Sarah. In Second Samuel, we see the fourth son of Saul, who's named Eshbaal, man of Baal. His name is changed to Ishbosheth, man of shame. Uh, there are two essential names of God in the Bible. Now, El means God, and even for the pagan gods, El just means God, or the the strong one. And then, now that doesn't mean much to us, but the Hebrews wrote the name of God, thank you, without any vowels, because they didn't use vowels at that time. And we have filled in the vowels, and we call that name Yahweh. And then later, we get a Latinized version of that in the 16th century, Jehovah. Yahweh is the God who exists. That means to be. And we'll see how that plays in a little bit later here. Now, why do you think in the Bible... Every time it refers to God, it would be Elohim instead of El. Elohim is the plural of El. Why do you think every time it refers to the true God, it would be in the plural Elohim? Maybe the Trinity, referring to the Trinity. Let us make man in our image and so forth. Now we have all kind of combinations of names in the Scripture. We have God Almighty, the living God, the Most High, the Lord, the God of hosts, and so forth. The English word God is familiar, is almost similar to the Anglo-Saxon word good. So we see God as the representative of all good. And that's the point at which Satan would like to attack. Is God really good in the light of what's going on in my life, whatever the circumstance might be? And is he good to me? The answer is yes, He is goodness personified. Now, if you looked in the Scripture at the names of God and the nicknames and the titles, you would see over 700 names of God. Why would all those terms and labels and names be in there? Well, we learn some things about the character of God and about His attributes as we study His names. Now, if you have a Bible, you can look in Exodus chapter 3 and beginning in verse uh, 13. And uh, let me just read that verse. Then Moses said to God, Behold, I am going to the sons of Israel, and I shall say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. Now they may say to me, What is his name? So you've got to know somebody's name if you're going to trust them. What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Now there is the name uh, Yahweh. I am who I am, or I will be who I will be. And we see where that name comes from. 
there in Exodus 3, but that name is also used in the New Testament. One day Jesus was talking with a group of Jews, and they had a lengthy conversation that you can read about in John 8. But at the end of the conversation, something happened that immediately changed the tone of everything. Now, they were getting a little bit heated because of what Jesus was saying. But when he said this, that was the end. And they started looking for some rocks to get rid of this guy because he was blaspheming. And here's what he said. Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. And there was that term for God. And they knew immediately what it meant, what he was saying. Therefore, they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. And people say, well, Jesus never claimed to be God. Well, He claimed to be God all over the place. In fact, He gave seven great I Am statements in the book of John. Now, you could think uh, when, when God says to Moses, I am who I am, what would you fill in if you had a blank after the am? I am love. I am kindness. I am omnipotent. I am omniscient. You could fill in all kinds of things, but here's what Jesus says. 6.35, I am the bread of life. 8.12, I am the light of the world. 10.9, I am the door of the sheep. 10.11, I am the good shepherd. 11.25, I am the resurrection and the life. 14.6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. 15.5, I am the vine, and you are the branches. Jesus is filling in some of the blanks for us. And as we go back and read through those passages, it tells us a lot about who Jesus is. So Yahweh is the personal name for God. And today, I want to take a look at eight compound names with using that personal name of God. And it's amazing how Christopher always sets me up for these things. I do appreciate that so much. We haven't collaborated on that, but the Holy Spirit knows what we need. Now, there are many forms of spelling of these names, and there are many different pronunciations. There are several different pronunciations, I should say. So if you pronounce it differently, uh, that would be perfectly okay. Now, I want to give out a little study guide, and if you need a pen... If I could get um, some of you guys to help me with that. I think we have one for most everybody. There you go. Now, you have uh, seen this before. And anybody who needs a pen to write with, because we're going to be writing pretty quickly. Uh, when you get through, we'll take those pens back up again. And let's go over on this other side. And we're talking about the top of your study guide, praising the name of the Lord. I'm suggesting that we can praise Him better if we know who He is. If we're calling on Him by name, if we understand what that name means. Now you have a couple of verses there that are not written out. But Psalm 22.3 says, Thou art holy, thou that inhabitest the Lord who inhabits the praises of Israel. And in Psalm 33, 1, Rejoice in the Lord, O you righteous. Praise is comely for the upright. Praise is appropriate. If you're a Christian, you need to be praising God and you can praise Him by His name.
And then the name of God, Psalm 91, 14. Now, this is God speaking, so listen carefully. Because he hath set his love upon me, the psalmist has set his love upon me, therefore will I deliver him. I will set him on high because he hath known my name. And then Hebrews thirteen fifteen, the New Testament. By him, therefore, let us offer a sacrifice of praise to God continually, that is, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. So we want to praise his name, we want to know his name, we want to give thanks to his name. Now we have some verses to read here in Tim. Uh, Tim Baird is going to start us off, and you have these uh, verses listed there on your study guide, and it's the verse in parenthesis that he is going to be reading, and let me give you the setting. Very familiar because we had it uh, recently here, and we were talking about Abraham. And God told Abraham to go to the land of Moriah and offer a sacrifice. And we say, "Woo! is God talking about human sacrifice? Well, no, God knows what's going to happen. He knows what's in Abraham's heart. He says, I know Abraham in another place that he will command his family after him. But he wants Abraham to have this experience of a test of faith. Now, Mount Moriah is not just a peak. It's kind of a ridge. And the place where he goes is a very important place in biblical history. So, Tim, if you would read for us there, Genesis twenty-two fourteen. Okay. The Lord who provides Jehovah Jireh or Jehovah Yireh. Now, that's an important name of God to know. That's one we're familiar with because we're calling on God to provide a lot of things. But it's amazing what was said there. In the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. Of course, He provided a ram for the sacrifice. But 2,000 years later, near that same location, there was a lamb provided. The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. It is amazing how the Bible fits together. That's a familiar one. Let's get another one. We're moving on to Exodus 15. Three days out of the Red Sea, the Israelites were grumbling and complaining. They specialized in that. They were whiners. And they were saying, we don't have any water, and we're going to die of thirst out here. And God gives them a little lecture. And he reminds them of everything that happened to the Egyptians. Do you remember in the plagues, the Egyptians broke out with balls. All kinds of things happened. But God makes them a promise if they will follow him and obey his commands. Let's take a look now, Christopher. Uh, This would be Exodus 15 and verse 26. Okay, Jehovah, Rophe, the Lord who heals you. 
This was the Lord who provides. Now this could be important. If anyone was not feeling well and they wanted to get in touch with God, calling Him by His name, I'm the Lord who heals you. Now, I know we have big controversy about does God heal everybody as they're healing in the atonement. Well, God does heal people. He can heal anybody He wants to physically. He stands waiting to heal people spiritually all over the place. And one day we'll all be healed when we get that new body, get that new spiritual body. Okay, now we're moving on just two chapters uh, further and we see the Amalekites attacking Israel. And there's a great battle. And Moses is up on the mountain with the rod of God, I think representing intercessory prayer. And Joshua and the army are down in the valley and they're fighting against the Amalekites. And God gives them a great victory and Moses builds an altar to the Lord And let's see what he calls that altar. This would be Exodus chapter 17 and verse 15. Bill has got that, I believe. Okay. There is Jehovah. Let's get a little better writer here. Jehovah Nisi, N-I-S-S-I. The Lord is my banner. Now we can think back about battles throughout history. And many times men would go into battle, of course in modern day with a flag, but back in those days with a banner. And you can think of Oliver Cromwell and his guys had the name of the Lord on a banner as they went into battle. So the Lord is our banner and He's given God credit for the battle that has just been won. Then we have uh, Leviticus chapter 20, uh, beginning in verse, um, well, I think we have verse 8 here. Leviticus 28, and Wolfgang has that. Okay, keep my statutes and do them. I am the Lord who sanctifies you, Imkedish. The Lord who sanctifies. Now, when we come to Christ and we're justified, God does that Himself. But in the process of sanctification, we get to be a part of that. We're a part of putting off the old self and putting on the new self and doing those things that God has called us to do. But it's God who sanctifies us. He takes our work and makes it effective. Oh, this is a good one. We're skipping to Judges. Judges chapter 6 and verse 24. Ethan, I believe, has this one. Gideon is down in the wine press hiding out from the Midianites threshing grain because they would come swooping in on their camels at harvest time and steal everything that the Israelites had. This is in the days of the judges. They had turned against God. This was God's judgment on their land. And the angel comes and said, Gideon, mighty man of valor, you're going to rescue your people. And he said, well, if all that is true, then what am I doing down here? I'm the least in my family, and so forth. But uh, the angel shows him a sign, and you remember the story. And uh, Gideon achieves a mighty victory a little bit later on. But at that time, he builds an altar. Ethan, could you read that verse 24 for us? So Gideon built an altar there to the Lord, and called it the Lord 
Okay? We know this one, don't we? Jehovah Shalom. The Lord is peace. And that's very important if we're going to be living the abundant Christian life that we know the peace that God gives. And we see a lot about peace in the Scripture. And you can think of Christ during that short three-year public ministry. People are trying to kill Him. They're always opposing Him. They're questioning everything He does. They're just in opposition to Him. And He says, they've hated me, they'll hate you too. We need to know about that peace. Then we come down to Jeremiah 23, and we've already quoted this one this morning. This is a good one. But let's get uh, Brian to give us that verse 6 one more time. Maybe 5 and 6. And the Lord our righteousness is, as Christopher said, Jehovah Sidkenu, the Lord our righteousness. And you can remember later on it's said of Christ, He, God, made Him who knew no sin, Christ, to be sin on our behalf that we might be the righteousness of God in Him. Okay, we got a couple of more. Uh, Psalm 23, Austin. This one we're very familiar with. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I do not want. The Lord is my shepherd. In the Hebrew there, it just says, Jehovah Rohi. The Lord shepherd. But that is a participle. And it means the Lord is shepherding me. And we know a lot about shepherds as we've studied that 23rd Psalm. And then the last one, is from Ezekiel 48:35, and there are some measurements given here of the new city of Jerusalem. So that's what this uh, verse is talking about in terms of the numbers. Mac, would you read that verse for us? Ezekiel 48:35. The circumference of the city shall be 18,000 cubits, and the name of the city from that time on shall be the Lord is there. The Lord is there, Jehovah Shammah. The Lord is there. Or we might say the Lord is present. Now, what I want to do pretty quickly, it'll have to be pretty quickly, if you would open your Bibles, turn over to Psalm 23. Psalm 23, probably the most well-known passage of Scripture, maybe with the exception of the Lord's Prayer. It's one men quote on the battlefields. The psalmist here, uh, David, probably wrote this, at the time when he was being chased out of town by Absalom, he was in some real trouble. And of course, it was his own son who was trying to kill him. So let's take a look at uh, Psalm 23, and let's quickly, in a few minutes, identify some of the names of God. Now, in the very first one, it's a gimme. The Lord is my shepherd. Which name? Rohi. Jehovah Rohi. Does anybody see another name in that First verse. Jehovah Jireh. The Lord provides. I shall not want. Okay, the second verse there. 
second verse. Now, by the way, uh, sheep are animals that are defenseless, basically. Uh, they can't help themselves in any way. A shepherd has to take care of the sheep. And sometimes the sheep are fearful. Uh, sometimes they're stubborn. They're timid. Uh, sometimes they panic, kind of a mob instinct, and they go running off somewhere. Uh, they need a shepherd. We need Jehovah Rohi, the Lord, our shepherd. It's fun to read about the shepherd and everything he does. I would recommend a shepherd looks at the 23rd Psalm. And last week we talked about how do you know you're a Christian, First John. Well, if you're a Christian, the sheep know the shepherd. They know his voice. They hear him calling them. They love him. They trust him. They follow him. Verse 2. Verse 2. Do we see anything in verse 2? He maketh me lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. Right. Jehovah Shalom. The Lord is peace. Many times, Christians know where the pastures are, but they don't lie down in the green pastures. They don't feed in the green pastures. In his book, Philip Keller talks about the finest sheep that he ever had. Was a ewe. It produced excellent children. It was the best looking sheep. It would have won the contest. Uh, he loved this sheep. But this sheep had one problem. The problem was, no matter what the field or the pasture was, this sheep was a fence crawler. And they would always be looking for a way to get out. This mother sheep taught the lambs the same thing. And pretty soon the whole herd would be following her, Mrs. Gadabout. He named the sheep. And a lot of times that's the way uh, Christians are. Instead of taking the pasture that's been provided, we're wandering all around with all kinds of different things. And we never do get what God intends for us. I'm not even going to tell you what happened to Ms. Gadabout. Okay, uh, verse number 3. He restoreth my soul. We'll take the A part there. He restoreth my soul. What could that be? Yeah, could be Jehovah Rophe. He restoreth my soul. And I think it could be too, the Lord who sanctifies. Because as He sanctifies us to make us like Christ, that's going to restore our soul. Do we see anything else in that passage? Three. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness. Jehovah said, Kenu. We want to be walking in the paths of righteousness. We want our souls to be restored from fear, from tension, from aggravation. The sheep sometimes suffer, and from hunger. Sometimes we're feeding on a lot of things, but it doesn't really satisfy our hunger. Okay, let's take verse 4. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death... I will fear no evil for thou art with me. Notice that David is saying, I'm walking through the valley. Not I'm just walking around in the valley. He is heading through the valley of the shadow of death. God is either going to save us from death or save us through death right into His kingdom. Which one would that be? Jehovah Shammah. The Lord who is there. The Lord who goes with us. Sometimes the thought of death is as terrifying as death itself. But we see in Scripture, death is just a shadow. The essence of it has been removed because the moment we die, we are present with Christ. It's a gateway 
leading to eternal life. Okay, we got verse 5 here. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies, and thou anointest my head with oil. What do you think? Yep, Jehovah Jireh. He prepares a banquet for us. I think that might be referring to Barzillai, who comes out with all these food to help David, his friend, as he's escaping from Jerusalem. So the Lord has a feast for us. He has a feast for us in Scripture if we'll just get into it and enjoy, learn to enjoy that feast. Now, sometimes there may be things in the feast that uh, are not to our liking, but they're nutritious. And so we want to just uh, take it on in. Do we see anything else in that verse? I'll give you a hint. A lot of times we get together with people who are sick, the elders, and we anoint them and pray for them. So in the Bible, oil is a symbol of healing. So we might get Jehovah Rophe out of that one too. You remember then James, is there any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over him, anointing him with oil. What did the good Samaritan do when he found that guy? He got some oil and wine and helped him to feel much better. Then the, the last one, verse 6. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. When I was a little boy, I was trying to find out who Shirley, Gladys, and Marcy were doing here following me. But um, it doesn't mean that at all. Now, there is a word, kesed, that is translated mercy. But if you have a modern translation, what does it say? Surely goodness and love or loving kindness really is a better translation of the word. So from that, we get God's banner. Because in Second Som- in Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 4, we see His banner over us is love. The more you look, the more the connections you see that God has placed in the Scripture. Now, what do you do with these names? There's nothing mystical here. You don't get up in the morning and recite the names of God, but you use them as you would anybody else's name. You call upon God by His name. You look for opportunities to praise His name. There's much in Scripture about praising the name of the Lord. There are New Testament names of Christ. There are Old Testament names for the triune God and the Father. There are all kinds of things. Take the list and go through it, praising God for all He has done for you. You can think of things in every category that you could praise God for. Take a passage of Scripture, particularly the Psalms, like we did Psalm 23, and see if you can find mention of every single characteristic of God. There are all kinds of ways you can use this, and I trust that you would. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You that You have revealed Yourself to us in a way that we can understand. And we can certainly understand the sheep and the shepherd. And we thank You that You are the good shepherd who lays down His life for the sheep. We want to know You better and better. We want to understand who You are, even through these names and labels that were given in the Scripture. And Lord, we want to be able to trust in You with all of our heart because we know you so well. And we know that you have our best interests at heart. 
And we know that you're going to do the best thing for us. We pray that we might cooperate with you in what we're doing. Thank you again for this time. We ask these things in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen.